if you're wearing all the hats of like sales, marketing, product development, all of those things, like it's a lot. And, you know, sometimes it makes a whole lot more sense, at least for me and like my personality and the the kind of life that I want to live. I would rather build a team around whatever the goal, the project, the business is and leverage some other people's genius. And I spent way too long thinking that I had to learn like all the departments and all of the lanes by myself. And you can go way farther and way faster if you partner with people who, you know, who have that, the genius that you don't. I searched all over the world, struggling to find it. Then I met my boy, David E. Simons, yeah. I searched all over the world, struggling to find it. Then I met my boy, David E. Simons, yeah. Discover my gift, yeah, yeah. Discover my gift, yeah, yeah. But David E. Simons. Welcome to another episode of How I Discovered My Gift. It's yours truly, David D. Simons. I'm honored and excited and delighted to have today's guest on the show, Devin Johnson. Devin is the founder and CEO of Dark Horse Capital and Dark Horse Capital Partners, a suite of dynamic investment and development companies focused on providing superior returns to investors through well-researched and risk-mitigated projects across diverse asset classes. With over two decades of experience in entrepreneurship, real estate investment, and consulting services, Devin is an accomplished deal maker, an investor with a true people-focused heart committed to efficiency and profitability without compromising the quality of returns or client experience. Devin has recently opened the Capital Club, which I'm excited to dig into. We'll talk about that. Uh, a private mastermind and investment club focused on providing investors with varied pro- varied private investment opportunities with due diligence done for you uh, across private equity, uh, real estate, VC, debt, M&A, and more. She does the due diligence and they make it happen. So Devin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Wonderful. Wonderful. Me too. I, I, I've been looking forward to this conversation. Um, it, your, your, your conversation is going to be the first of its kind on our show, I got to say, because we have not had a person that's really, really, really focused on investment just to- totally, right? That's what, that's what they're into and that's what they do. So this is a first for us, which is, which is great. Um, Devin, can you just take us through the journey, right? Just take us through uh, childhood yeah. to where you are today. Like walk us through. Whew, how how deep do you want me to go? Um, <clears throat> so I, I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I was raised by a single mother. My parents divorced when I was really little. And, um, you know, unfortunately, I didn't get to see my father a whole lot when I was when I was a kid. He was an airline pilot, lived in another state. So my sister and I were being brought up by our mother and 
Full transparency, it was not a um, Norman Rockwell kind of childhood. There was a lot of addiction and chaos and everything that comes along with that in our in our household. Um, lots of lots of stress. A lot of that was centered around money and you know just a lot of uncertainty. Um, I have an amazing, an amazing relationship with my dad now and a fantastic relationship with my sister. And that's just kind of, you know, we grew up in a little bit of chaos. There's no way to, there's no way to sugarcoat that. Um, And, you know, I wouldn't trade it for anything either. There are certain skill sets that you learn in that kind of an environment, um, such as how to be creative. And I think that also was probably where the seed was planted for me, um, that got me to where I am now to (sighs) money was always a a problem when I was a kid, you know, and (laughs) we lived in a nice part of town, kind of like in the, in the, the cheapest neighborhood in a really nice part of town. And so as a kid, like I couldn't afford the same clothes that the other girls were wearing. And it, you know, I felt like I didn't quite fit in and I started, my entrepreneurial journey very young. Like I was babysitting and doing odd jobs that I could find around the neighborhood, like anything that I could do to, you know, earn my own, earn my own money. Um, so that's like early childhood. And then, um, you know, going through middle school and high school, like I did really well in school. I was also a bit of a rebel. Um, I never, (laughs) I never liked to follow the rules. Um, you know, I got great grades, but I also skipped school a lot and, um, you know, did all of, all of those things that us rebellious entrepreneur types tend to do. And, um, you know, through my, through my twenties, I, um, I struggled quite a bit. I had some success and then, you know, I was like, I was always determined to be an entrepreneur. Like that was, I was not willing to really do, uh, (laughs) what anybody told me to do. I had odd jobs like tending bar and was always trying to start something on my own. And I finally had some success in my mid late twenties with a, a retail business that did pretty well and, um, ended up having to exit that retail business after a little while. And, um, you know, like I had a partner when I started he was the bank. I was the brains. It wasn't working. So I was, I was essentially, I was forced into a buyout. And that is when, um, that was one of the best things that ever happened to me. I, uh, because my identity was like super tied up in what I was doing at that time. I'm Devin, the, you know, retail store owner. I was like, my identity was so tied up in what I was doing. And it's like the universe, God, whatever you want to call it, gave me a gift. Kind of like, you're going to, you're going to figure out who you are with, without this, uh, without this business. So exited that company, had some cash. And that was when I decided to buy my first property. I was 29, I think 29 and, uh, bought my first house and decided I was going to renovate it with my own two hands, you know, between like Googling YouTube and calling my dad on the phone crying, I was <laughs> determined yeah. 
determined to figure it out by myself. And um, that's when I, I got the bug to go into real estate. Mm. Was, uh, yeah, so I was 29, was I 29? Oh my gosh, I'm 39 now, so that was 10 years ago. Um, yeah, and that started me on my on my real estate journey. So I started off as a residential real estate agent and I didn't know what I was doing, didn't know anybody really. So I just started like knocking on doors uh, to build up a client base. And I did that for, uh, for quite a few years and I, I built a property management company and that was pretty successful. And then I, I sold the property management company because it was sucking the life out of me. And I started working primarily with investors um, as a real estate, like a residential real estate agent. I worked with investors that were wanting to buy rental properties because um, I figured out that they were repeat clients. You know, they would buy more than more than once a year. Um, and I just had a really good I had a really good knack for, you know, seeing a house that could it needed a little bit of love. It was in the right area that it would rent well. Um, and the place that I lived was a second home market. It was like a, a lake community. It was kind of a vacation destination. So then I started working with a lot of clients on Airbnbs too. And keep in mind, this is like eight years ago before everybody was doing Airbnb or short-term rentals. Um, right. And did really well with... Uh, with that clientele and those types of properties, but I was just super burned out. Um, I was like, I lived on a hamster wheel cause I would just eat what I kill, eat what I kill, eat what I kill. So if I wasn't getting up and grinding and answering the phone, I wasn't making money. Um, <clears throat> and I had, I think I had like maybe one rental property around that time. And, you know, so I had a little bit of passive income, but not, not a ton and really just got super burned out. And then I got a sign from God to move to Nashville. So I did. I like, I walked away from my real estate business. I just like shut everything down, uh, put my books and my clothes in my car and moved across the country. That's bold. It was, wow. I know it was crazy. I've done a few crazy things like that in my life. Like I, I didn't, wasn't sure how deep we wanted to get on like the team. Oh yeah, we can go deep. Let's <laughs> let's scuba dive. <laughs> I've done yeah. I've done things like that a few times in my life, and it's it's always turned out really really well. Um, yeah. But yeah, I got this I got this sign to move to Nashville, so I moved, um, and I got here and was like, oh, okay, <laughs> now what? What am I here for? No clue. And I really, really, at that time, I really wanted out of real estate. I was just so burned out. And, you know, <clears throat> friends and family were like, oh, you should sell real estate in Nashville. You'll crush it. You know, properties are much more expensive here. And the thought of that made me want to cry. I was like, there's, mm. there's got to be a better way to make money. Mm. If I was doing well financially, you know, for the small town that I lived in. But it's, I, did, I didn't have quality of life. Mm. you know mm. <clears throat> wow yeah that, that oh we we're, we're gonna we're gonna dive into that too i mean that's thank you for breaking that down what a journey um to, so so Devin, when you think about it what is your most dominant gift connecting with people 
And when did you, when did you like, you know how you, you operate in a gift or you operate in something because it's so natural to you, you just do it. But when did you realize this was like, like either you had the revelation that this is my gift, this is a gift that I have, or uh, a moment when you, you can look back and point to it and like, oh yeah, I was definitely doing that or operating in that even at, when I didn't know it. Yeah, I don't think I knew that for a really long time. Um, mm. And I was also like the last person to know that I was an artist. Most people would, by looking at me with my purple hair and, and bright colors, they, like they would pick right up on that. But I, I didn't know that about myself. And mm. I learned that my, my gift is really connecting with people actually. So I moved here to Nashville and I got, uh, I got a job working for this business consultancy because I wanted to do something completely different. So yeah. they hired me come to find out the guys that own that consultancy had just started a real estate portfolio and they strategically hired me because of my resume. And wow. so I ended up working in real estate again, but in a totally different, uh, in a totally different aspect. And I really helped to build this company. They, they sold properties to investors. I helped raise money for the fund and I built out all the dispositions and I, I did a ton of volume by myself and it was my my boss at that company that told me one day, like he had zero real estate experience, really. Mm. That's, that's why I was on the bus. Um, mm. And I remember early on while I was working for that fund, he told me, he was like, Devin, you're really good at real estate. He said, but I've never seen anybody like you with people. Cause mm. think about the, the kind of like trust and rapport that you need to build with somebody to buy a couple hundred thousand dollar house over a zoom call that like you're never going to look at or to put, mm. you know, to make a large investment into, uh, into a fund, you know, just wire a couple hundred thousand dollars to a person that you've never, you've never met in person. Like yeah. you've got to really be able to connect, right. build trust, help people understand what's going on. And, you know, I was, I have a really good knack for, uh, for that and, and building relationships with everything that I do now, the types of deals that I source, it's 100% a relationship business. Like wow. you can't Google those opportunities. Mm. You have to be in the right rooms, meet the right people. And if, if they don't like you, <laughs> like you're not going to get access to the deals. Hmm. That's good. That's good. So, so this, this kind of boss was, would you say the first time somebody kind of like really pointed it out to you? Like, and it, it just, aha, like you're great with people. Yeah. And, and wow. Yeah. Wow. And so you pretty much went through a large portion of your entrepreneur career operating in it, but not really knowing that you were like consciously knowing that this is a gifting you were oh, excellent at. Yeah, I didn't have a clue. Um, my, one of my first like real jobs was teaching preschool when I was like 16. You know, I was an assistant preschool teacher in, uh, in a church. And I think a lot of it probably started there, but mm -hmm. I, I didn't realize it. Like think about managing the emotions of 23 year olds four-year-olds all at one time, yeah. you know, like that takes, 
That was the most exhausting job I've ever had in my entire life, too. <laughs> it's like, I can only imagine. <laughs> um, and then I spent years like waiting tables, and I I made a ton of money, and bartending, I made a ton of money, wow. you know. And it was because of the relationships that I was able to build with people. People wanted to come mm. to the places that I worked when I was when I was doing those things. It was, you know, the food was good, yeah. You know, I worked in some nice places, but it was more, it was the connection. They wanted to visit me before they went home. That's beautiful, beautiful. So take take us back to that first business. Or maybe it's not the first one in real to retail, but the one where you were the brains and the there was the banker. Um, talk to us about how that opportunity came about and how that built up and just and how you your gift was leveraged to build that up. I imagine, right uh, in in that as well. Yeah. So. That was, that was a cool business. So what it was, was, um, it was a, a gourmet food store. We sold like specialty olive oils and balsamic vinegars and that opened that like 15 years ago. That concept is super popular now. They're everywhere. But at that time there were, there weren't very many of those types of stores. And I saw the concept while I was on vacation and immediately, like I was on vacation there were, it was like these flavored olive oils that you could taste before you bought them. And I was like, this is so cool. I wanted to buy like a whole case of this stuff because I couldn't get it back home. It had a souvenir aspect to it. And mm. I, I love to cook. I'm a huge foodie. So okay. I was like, well, I live in a vacation destination. There's a novelty aspect to it, you know, print the, the city, the town on the bottle. So, um, basically, yeah, I just kind of like took their idea and put my own spin on it. And, um, it took off like wildfire, like wildfire. We were in the black in six weeks. We sold out of all of our inventory, the opening, like the opening weekend. Um, so I, I put the store in a high traffic location. So there was tons and tons of foot traffic. And um, I incentivized my staff. You know, a lot of times you go into a retail store, people are like, let me know if you need anything. Right? right. Well, what's it like when you go into Louis Vuitton or Chanel? Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Somebody comes to yeah. greet you. They get to know you, blah, blah, blah. And um, I, so I incentivized my employees with profit share. And basically I taught them how to upsell, which had a lot to do with, you had to connect with these people. This was a food item we were selling. So find out what kind of, do they like Italian food? Do they like uh, Middle Eastern food? Do they like, you know, what do they like? And then steer them in that direction. So looking back, like I'm just realizing this now talking to you, but essentially I encouraged them to build connection with the people that were coming into the store rather than just mm. like, let me know if you need something, you know? but like really, yeah. really engage and find out what they're after. And then because of that, everybody that came in the store, instead of just buying one, they bought like 12. Yeah. Amazing. If, if you don't mind, could you talk a little numbers? Like, like how, like food, food businesses are not easy, right? Uh, uh, it's, it's very difficult. So to be in the black in six weeks is, is no small feat at all that is a, 
a crazy accomplishment, just that alone in itself. And then um, for the listeners, though, that might be curious to to get into that space, what what, what kind of numbers did that restaurant, uh, that's a restaurant, that food business end up being doing? Yeah, so it was it was a really unique business. And one of the reasons that it works so well is because the markup on the product was about 1200%. Yeah. So it was, you know, a specialty olive oil that was being imported. We sold them for about 20 bucks a bottle. And most of the bottles I had somewhere between like one and $3 in product cost. Um, yeah. And I think the key for me was also because I put it in a high foot traffic area in a tourist destination. So I didn't have any advertising expenses, but I paid a ton in rent um, to have that strategic location. And, you know, we did do some online sales, but most of it was, you know, was from people physically coming into the store. And there were quite a few other stores uh, that popped up that were buying from the same supplier. And we were always like, our numbers blew everybody else out of the water. And it was 100% because of the locations. When I opened several other locations and I put them all in high traffic tourist areas. Like I opened one in Myrtle Beach and I put it in this, uh, this development called Broadway at the Beach where there's just like, there's tons of activity going on. That's where families are coming when they get off the sand to do, mm -hmm. you know, play games and go out to eat and stuff like that. So I think like in the startup, because I did, I had a partner who was the money, right? And I was the brains behind it. We got into some knockdown fist fights over some of the things that I wanted to spend money on. One was like some of the, the branding with um, the shopping bags. I made sure they were, incredibly beautiful because people walking mm -hmm. around we're gonna see we're gonna see the shopping bags and like the signage spent spent money it was hot pink so like you couldn't mm -hmm. you couldn't miss it you oh, nice. you had to notice the sign um and then spending that much money on on rent was the right thing to do but i know and because i worked in a ton of restaurants too like a lot of them can be a lot of them fail you know, a lot of them don't have really good margins. And I think another opportunity with that kind of business too, is they're oftentimes they're open like a lot. So it can be a challenge for the owner to really like even be able to turn their brain off unless you have incredible staff. And I'm, I invested in really good staff so that I didn't have to manage it. They, the people that worked for me made more than any of the other retail workers, like in those outdoor malls or areas. And I did that on purpose so that I got the best. Wow. That's genius. That's genius. And, and this, this particular, like, what was it doing in revenue, uh, in a, in, within a year or so? Um, it was doing like a million and a half, a million and a half. Yeah, $20 at a time, like, that's a lot. That's incredible. See, the volume was crazy. Yeah. Wow. It was a lot. Wow. It was a lot. And yeah, that was. it was a great business. And um, after I exited, unfortunately, a couple, it wasn't that long after uh, my former partner bought me out that it closed. So I think once I wasn't there, it didn't really have the, like, the attention and the care that went away and then sales went down and you know, it closed and there was no reason that needed to happen, but. Mm. 
and and that was i guess we again we look at it like your gift was in action and 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 it was it was like that piece was taken out that attention to people that that the heart driven yeah the heart was taken out so you said it was one of the best things to happen to you that that buyout and even though it wasn't I probably sure you didn't think that at that moment, but now looking back for sure, what transpired in that moment to now transition you into to this investor and investor relations and all this stuff that you do now? Yeah, great question. Um, like it helped me to see that even though even though that was a great business, I didn't I didn't have control. I, I own forty nine percent, so ultimately, like you know, when push came to shove, yeah. I had, I had no control. Um, and then, you know, I, I was kind of faced with that. Well, like who, what do I want to do? Who do I want to be? What do I want to become? And the, you know, the real estate was, it, it felt kind of like a happy accident because I bought that house and started rehabbing it and fell, fell in love with it. And, you know, it was like every step along the journey led me exactly to where I was when I was working for that when I was working for the fund, my, my previous employer, who was the one who really let me know that my, my genius was, my genius is connection and, and deals. Like really, um, I have a really, really good eye for analyzing deals, but you're never going to, you're never going to get to the analysis table. People don't like you. Um, when I was working for that fund, it was kind of like the same, the same, as being when I was a real estate agent, I was making really good money and I was kind of on a hamster wheel because it was all active income. And the irony is what I did every day was educate people about passive income. Mm. That's what I was helping them build. Like my job was to help rich guys get richer, mostly dudes. Mm. There was a few women, but it was mostly dudes. And mm. One of my friends took me to lunch several years ago and I was, you know, I was working for that fund. I wasn't very happy. I bought a few more properties, built up a little bit more passive income, but he was like, Devin, when are you going to do for you what you do for other people all day long? And it was like, whoa, whoa. And that like the light bulb, the light bulb really kind of came on then. And, um, I stopped working for that fund and started like doing my own thing. I started like raising money for my own projects. I started doing um, consulting for a lot of different real estate operators and helping them build and scale. And then I just had tons of people constantly reach out to me because at this point, like I've been working with investors for about 10 years. So yeah. old clients and friends and family are reaching out to me all the time. Like, sh what should I invest in? Should I put my money in this deal? Should I... Should I look at that? And then I'm constantly, people are asking me to raise money for them all the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it really hit me. Like I've got these two groups of people that are trying to meet each other, which is why I, I launched the investment club. Cause you know, I want to, I wanted to be able to help everybody that was, whether it was my uncle or an, a past client asking for help, like, does this deal make sense? And it's like, I can't just do that anytime somebody wants to like blow up my phone, you know, it's like not, not serving people wow. efficiently or, um, or at a high level. But yeah, it was that, that conversation with a friend of mine, love that guy for telling me the truth. Uh, wow. 
that basically the medicine I was giving out to everybody else was the medicine that I needed. Beautiful. Wow. That's so powerful. So I know you've been working on deals before um, this moment that you were now being enlightened by your friend about doing this for yourself. But can you talk about that first project that you're now doing that is kind of like for yourself or you're managing completely for yourself and, and what you, you can give as many details as you want on that or, 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 or that you can, but that first project, what happened uh, through that first, that journey. And then after, what did you feel like after accomplishing it? I was terrified. Um, mm. I was absolutely terrified. So I was, I was done working with that fund and basically like I was, I did not have very much money in the bank. Um, <clears throat> long story short, like just my, when I worked there, my comp plan was based on profit and some things weren't going well. So like I really wasn't making any money and, uh, you know, had to, had to go out on my own. And I just decided, um, what happened is that they were no longer able to pay me, right? So technically they let me go and news spread very quickly. I got like a dozen job offers within 48 hours, tons of people. Yeah. Tons of people wanted to hire me They're, you know, asking for me to come work on their projects, blah, blah, blah. And that's when the light bulb came on that like, Oh, I was probably that, that I'm way more valuable than I'd given myself credit for, you know? And, uh, so I just decided to jump in the deep end of the pool and really didn't know what I was doing. Um, but I was willing to ask for, for help from, and people are like, people are generally very generous when, when you want to ask for help. So I found this cool project and, you know, started, started working on it. And, you know, the long story short, it fell apart. The first one did not, it didn't, it didn't come to fruition. You know, and I spent months and months and months on it. And, uh, but that was, I, there was so much valuable learning in that time period that I think because nothing really went the way that I thought it would, you know, I learned everything that I needed to do correctly moving forward. Mm. I was trying to do way too much of it myself, honestly, yeah. on that first one. And yeah. what I know now is it, it's a whole lot easier for me to partner with a, a very experienced developer, for example, and like I'll raise the capital and let somebody else handle the things that are, you know, either outside of my experience or it's just like it's easier, I think, um, for those kinds of big projects if you have a narrow focus. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Um, so after that, did you feel like you kind of started to get your groove and, and like, you know, you, you already had the relationships, you already had, um, uh, funders and you have the, you have all the pieces you're going through the process, you're learning. Like, so one of the things we talk about on the show is the, the development phase. There's no, there's no going around that. Everybody has to go through development, whether, whether it's, uh, you're in construction, you got to learn how to, you know, develop buildings, do all that things, whether you're building an agency, there's a development process to everyone. And so it sounds like this was your development process. Um, could you speak to 
the behind the scenes of that a little bit. Like, you know, you're asking questions, you know, if, if somebody wants to become better at something, they have to really put in some work and some, some, honestly, some hours, some unseen hours, some late nights, early mornings, uh, sometimes to really get this dialed in. Yeah, I would say, um, I, I kind of learned the hard way that it is, it's actually way easier and way more fun to when you're working on these kinds of big projects. And this part of my genius I figured out too also was, and I think this is where the artist create the creative thing comes in. If, I, if you look at a project kind of like a puzzle, I can usually figure out like these are the kinds of people that we need to have on the bus, like designing the team and then go recruit those people rather than trying to figure out all of those things yourself. You know, that's yeah. one of the struggles of being like a true solopreneur, which is what I was doing for a long time as, a, as an individual real estate agent. And a lot of those things is like, if you're wearing all the hats of like sales, marketing, product development, all of those things, like it's a lot. And, you know, sometimes it makes a whole lot more sense at least for me and like my personality and the, the kind of life that I want to live, I would rather build a team around whatever the goal, the project, the business is and leverage some other people's genius. And I spent way too long thinking that I had to learn like all the departments and all of the lanes by myself. And you can go way farther and way faster if you partner with people who, you know, who have that, the genius that you don't. Mm, that's good. And it's more fun. Mm -hmm. You're striking a nerve with the entrepreneurs that listen to this show. Uh, if, if you don't mind for a, a moment, could you speak about that mindset you had before, you know, that hustle, grind, grind mindset and, and, and the conversation we've had, you, you said, that you want everybody to experience passive income. Yeah. You know, instead of that act, only active earned income. Um, and if you could just speak to the entrepreneur that's listening to this and, and is right now in that spot where you're, where you were um, a while back of, if it's going to be, it's up to me. And, <laughs> you know, not looking from a team perspective. Yeah, totally. And, you know, I think, going all the way back to childhood, like I kind of, I learned that is how, like, that's what kept me safe and protected me when I was little. Like, you know, there were a lot of times that my sister and I, we were like, we were really kind of looking out for ourselves. And while it served me then, it actually held me back, um, as an entrepreneur, because I still, you know, if it is to be, it is up to me and investing, I feel like is a, is a team sport too. You know, um, if you, if you're a solopreneur or you have a big business and a big team, you know, you, you can still leverage help to figure out what to do with that capital to build up the passive income. Um, which is, I mean, that's the service that I provide in the capital club is like, I'm finding the deals for, for the clients that are in there because realistically, most of them, they don't have the time the energy or the skill set or the relationships to go make that happen themselves. And you can, if you, if you Google long enough, you can kind of figure out the strategy 
But is that really the highest and best use of your time to try to figure it all out yourself? Like you can do that, but I'm 10 years ahead of you is what, what I would tell people, you know, yeah. like it, it doesn't have to take nearly as long as, uh, as it's taken me. Mm, beautiful. S speaking of that, let, let's talk about the Capital Club. You know, this, this, this amazing vision, um, which I think is so super creative um, of what you're doing. I've heard of investment clubs, but not on the level that you're doing it and not with the attention to detail and due diligence, which you said is another um, uh, genius of yours. Uh, so if you could talk to us first, what is the Capital Club? Yeah. The genesis, all of that around it and the whole story around it. Yeah. So like I was sharing, you know, I've just had so many people kind of like reaching out, texting me, asking for my one-on-one -on -one help. Um, so I decided to launch the club to, you know, to provide really solid investment opportunities to people that are, they're looking to invest uh, and they're, they're busy. Like the opportunities that I provide are, are pretty much passive investments. And the deals that I share, like I, I really have nothing to gain if you invest or not. So it's this, the service that I'm providing is like going out, hunting through these deals, doing the due, the due diligence, looking at the team. What is their track record? What is their history? Have they returned investor capital before? You know, do they know what they're doing? Um, what are the risks and how are they being mitigated? And I've, I've looked at some other investment clubs too, in what they do and what I do. And, um, most of, most of the other ones that I've seen, like the person who's running the club does have something to gain in, in most of the deals, or they're like super niched. It's just like one particular, like multifamily real estate. That's all we do. And while that's, uh, well, that's cool and all like what I know from most of my clients are they're entrepreneurs. I've got some, uh, some doctors and athletes too, but like most of them are they're internet entrepreneurs, they're marketers, they're agency owners, um, a world that I know very little about. I'm surrounded by y'all, but I just don't know anything about what you do. And, um, they want variety or they don't even know what they want. They're like, should I buy an Airbnb? Should I even invest in this? Should I invest in that? And so rather than try to niche down super narrow, I essentially have built a buffet. So there's, there's a variety of things on the table. Uh, some are more geared towards capital preservation. The guy that's like, I've worked way too dang hard to make this money. I don't want it going anywhere. I want the safest vehicle you have. That would be kind of like the white rice on the buffet, you know, mm -hmm. like yeah. it'll fill your belly <laughs> and it'll get the job done. Uh, right. And then some other, you know, everybody's risk tolerance is different. So if somebody is younger, maybe they don't have a family yet. They're making money like crazy. They might be more willing to take some risks. Uh, so they might be interested in like a venture capital type opportunity. Um, and then, you know, there's the deal that we're going to share next week. I'll just tell you what it's, what it's going to be <laughs> for example. Um, this one is, it's a really exciting opportunity and it provides amazing cash flow, but also incredible tax benefits. And that's investing in the right opportunity can save you money on taxes, can give you cash flow. It's very rare to find an opportunity that gives you both. So 
this, uh, this deal, it's in, um, it's in the oil and gas space and that's all that I'll share. But if you do the math, it's a hundred percent tax write-off of active income. So if somebody were to invest, say $200,000 in that deal, they're immediately saving $73,000 off their tax bill immediately. Plus wow. it's cash flowing 14 to 21% a year. So over three to five years, it ends up being uh, a 350% return, which is, and it's totally passive. Plus you're saving all that money on your taxes. So if you look at like arbitrage, rather than giving that money to uncle Sam, you're able to put it into a vehicle that is going to make you money. That's very risk mitigated. Um, like who wouldn't do that? <laughs> you know, yeah. Be silly, be silly not to do that. So those are the types of, of opportunities that I, uh, that I source and bet. And, you know, a few weeks ago I shared an investment into a cannabis company, for example, higher risk because of the nature of the industry, but the company is vertically integrated. They don't have any other debt. They've been in business for 12 years. So in that industry, like this is a very solid opportunity and it was paying a 36% annual return. Uh, you know, that's their projection, which is, that's crazy. I still consider it higher risk just because of the nature of the industry. Um, you know, and then we've got also some very traditional like multifamily real estate syndications that are, you know, in a big metro area like Houston or Atlanta, something like that with a, a solid team that's been doing this for 20 years. Uh, you know, that's like that, that I would say is a more typical, you know, that's kind of the white rice variety uh, yeah. <laughs> of the deals. The, the cannabis right. is maybe more like, that's like some spicy chicken. And then, you there know, you venture capital is, that's the extra spicy chicken. Uh, but, <laughs> e but even still with those opportunities, the ones that I'm going to share are not the absolute moonshots. I'm, I'm looking for what, what teams have the, the best possibility of success. Have they taken companies public before? Who's on the team? Who's invested? I shared, uh, a tech incubator a couple of weeks ago that Grant Cardone is very heavily invested and the team is incredibly solid. And you know, like you're not going to find that opportunity on your Instagram feed. Wow. It's so, so I love that. I mean, so can you speak to, you know, the person that's thinking of getting investing, right? What is that criteria that they should be looking for? You kind of mentioned, I think you kind of hit, hit on some things and and there's certain levels it feels like there's layers to this investment world right so you i kept hearing you mention team 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 um that seems to be one of the pillars what other pillars are are critical and that most people miss it when it comes to investing in my opinion team is one of the most important um wow. you know who are these people what is their track record uh, that is like the most important thing. Um, one of the, the second I would say is like kind of the thesis or essentially like the business plan. Uh, does it make sense? Are like, for example, if someone is saying, I'm going to, I'm going to remodel an apartment complex and I'm going to sell it at a price that is just not realistic in today's market, then that would be a faulty thesis, you know, like that's never going to get off the ground. Um, also some things that I look at too, is that, which goes back to the team, how much skin do they have in the game? 
uh, like, is their own money invested or how, you know, or like, how is the deal structured? So I shared a, um, it was a development project and the way that their deal is structured. Yes. They've got some, some skin in the game in terms of money invested, but the developer doesn't make money until all the investors make their money. The way that the, the deal is, is structured He's got a 25% buffer, meaning mm. if he if he misses the mark by 25%, investors still get paid and he makes zero. So he's willing to wait until the very end of this 18 to 24 months to make his money. And he's been doing it that way for 10 years and he never has trouble getting investors to invest into his deals because he makes sure that, that the investors are taken care of first. So those are some of the things that I like to look at too. And for me, there's not like, there's not necessarily a hard and fast rule for any one of those things, but it's kind of like, it's kind of like a sniff test is the way that I look at it. You know, if there's a couple of things that are, um, you know, like, okay, you've got 10 years of experience. That's that, that will give a pretty high, high mark. It, or if somebody has less experience, but they're willing to not get paid until the very end, that's an opportunity that I'm going to look further into. Yeah, I love that. So I'm, I'm trying to think from the position of somebody listening. What about deals where all of those things look good? Everything like it passes the sniff test. It passes the, 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 the criteria looks good, you know, cause you do see that from time to time where everything looked great but then something happens or, or, or the inevitable or something, something that you just didn't, didn't expect. How did, how does one do, you know, risk is a part of the game. Yeah. So how does, how does one over, I mean, I guess you can't overcome that as essentially, or you just kind of like, you know, that's part of the par for the course. Like how, how does one think about that? That's a great question. Um, and yes, not everything will go a hundred percent according to plan. And that's one of the questions that I ask people when I'm analyzing, <laughs> when I'm analyzing their deals and we're sifting through is I want to know when did things not go according to plan and how did you handle it? Uh, and it's for me to share with my clients, like that answer has to be satisfactory. And you know, there are, of course there are things that can go awry and there's, there's a difference between risk and stupidity. Stupidity is like my brother's cousin's barber brought me this deal and I know that guy. So I'm going to get into it. That is like stupid. And I say that because I have done that. <laughs> like personally, mm. I have invested into things just because like, Oh, I know, I know this person but I didn't really look at the deal mm. separate from the person. Me too. Goodness. You know? <laughs> and yeah, exactly. And you know, it's kind of like, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trust my, I wouldn't trust my mechanics recommendation necessarily on who should do my taxes. Right. Like right. I should, I should talk to some other people who like deal in finance to get a recommendation mm -hmm. on who should do my, my taxes. Um, and I think those are pretty common mistakes. I was talking to a new member that just joined a couple of weeks ago and he was like, yeah, I've invested in four deals and 
he was super proud of himself that two of them were doing great and two of them flopped. And I was like, bro, you're batting average. Like you're at a 50, 50 average there. Like it's great that two of the ones that you picked are doing great, but like two of them are not. And you don't know if you're going to get that money back, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So was, does the, does the reward, if you're kind of gambling and playing roulette, does the reward pay off if you get it right some of the time? And am I saying that like every deal that I share is going to go a hundred percent perfect according to plan? Of course not. I can't, I can never make that kind of a guarantee. And I am going to do the research to make sure that, you know, everything that we share with our members is as solid as you can get and will be transparent. Cause there's some, there's some deals that it's like, like the cannabis one, for example, we don't know, like things could change just because of the nature of that industry. Things could change with legalities. And I would still take that gamble for 36% annual interest if I had the risk capital to allocate. Now, would I take my nest egg and put it into something like that? No, I would put my, my nest egg into like more like the white rice opportunities that are backed by a hard asset and there's insurance in place. So worse that happens, I don't make a return, but I can at least get my capital back. That's good. You know, that's good. Yes. Uh, and, and and we had a discussion the other day, and I, I, I think this would be great to highlight if you don't mind digging into as well. Um, the difference between the way men and women oh, yeah. manage money. I just I just thought that was so fascinating. And, and I, I mean, you said some information. I was just like, well, because one, one thing, right? So, Devin, you're, you, you, know, you just got a, a likable personality, just very uh, comforting, kind person. Um, that's, that's one aspect, but then there's another Nate, there's another aspect of just being a woman that has this, I guess, nurturing, like wanting to protect what is they're watching over, I think is how you put it. But if you, if you don't mind. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So it's not, you know, and not to get too polarizing, but it's not always true of men and always true of women. However, statistically, um, I think what I shared with you the other day is there, there are more men than women that invest. However, women tend to be better investors. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that by nature, we are a little bit more risk adverse. So it does take longer to get a female investor usually to like jump into an opportunity, but she takes a lot more time more often than not, like really analyzing, um, the risks and, you know, I think a lot of that has to do with just like biology and, you know, the way that we have evolved as a species is like, there was a time when you were out hunting the buffalo and we were in the cave or the tent or whatever, like keeping the little ones alive. So our, like our radar is just tuned a little bit differently. Um, and if you look at like fortune 500 companies, I think there's 47 that are run by women and they are more profitable than the other 450 ish that are run by men. So more men are doing it. However, the ones that are ran by women, um, are, are more profitable. And I think that's just like, that is a lot of our like protective nurturing nature. That's like, I mean, God just kind of made us, made us that way. 
you know? Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Well, no, thank you for sharing that. Um, so somebody may be interested, somebody interested in getting involved with the Capital Club. How does, how does that go about? What, what, what are they, how do they do? Uh, yeah, just go to um, thecapitalclub.io and I, there's a little button there to like book a call and they'll either talk with myself or uh, Dan, my right-hand man, and we'll, you know, walk them through what it, what it looks like. But there's, it's an annual membership to come into the club and we share a new deal every week and you can participate in whichever ones make sense for you. And then we provide some education and master classes to help other like wealth building strategies, bring some of those experts in for, for the members as well. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, is there anything I didn't ask you about that you think the audience should know either from an investment standpoint, from the capital club, any aspect that I didn't touch on. Cause there's so much to the investment world. There is so much. Um, I would say start like just start and it, starting might be just getting in the right rooms, you know, like, you don't have to start by going down a Google rabbit hole or starting by throwing a bunch of money into something that you're not sure about. Uh, but like get into the right rooms. There's people that have gone before you that will help you. So just start. <laughs> the art, the art of the start. Just got to start. I love it. So Devin, we ask every guest on the show, this same question. You weren't prepped on this question. Uh, and that question is, What's the difference between one's gift and one's purpose? Ooh. One's gift and one's purpose. That's a great question. Um, <laughs> I think your gift is uh, your your gift is you know your unique ability, unique genius that God has given to you and your purpose is what the hell are you going to do with it? Mm. You know, mm. Truth. what are you going to do with it? And so for me, like my gift, connecting, analyzing deals. Uh, and then my purpose is to, my purpose is to help other people get off the, get off the hamster wheel. Mm. Well stated. Love that. Thank you so much, Devin. We're going to plug all of the information for people to get connected with you. Um, um, is there any social handles we should let them know as well that they can get? get hang, yeah, my on? my Instagram is very much my my daily life. I'm at okay. Devin D E V O N Ryan R Y A N Johnson J O H N S O N and uh, same Facebook Devin Ryan Johnson. I'm pretty easy to find. The girl with the purple hair. That's me. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much for being on the show. We truly appreciate you. And thank you for all you do. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, uh, I searched all over the world, struggling to find it. Dear listener, I would like to thank you so much for listening to How I Discover My Gift with yours truly, David D. Simons. As a token of my appreciation, I would love to give to you my most important piece of work to date and it's called the purpose gift tape it's a motivational mixtape geared towards helping you to identify your gifts which ultimately lead to you discovering your purpose this is a six track album i poured my heart and soul into 
It includes beautiful beats and amazing spoken word over it. And I'd love to give that to you as a free gift, as a token of my appreciation for being a part of the community. So to get your copy, all you need to do is go to podcast.daviddsimons.com. That's podcast.david, the middle initial D, Simons, S-I-M-O-N-S, dot com, and get yours today. Thank you for being a listener. I'll catch you on the next episode. How I Discover My Gift with David D. Simons is proud to be of the amazing and illustrious Alive Podcast Network.